We found that it's useful to make inquiry and investigation a normal part of our everyday routine, especially when we're feeling uncomfortable emotions or facing tough decisions. We can take a moment to pause and sit with whatever it is we're experiencing, identify our situation, and just allow it to be there with compassion and without judgment, and then use the Eightfold Path as a guide to go inward and forward. In any situation, we can ask ourselves, how can I apply the Eightfold Path? It can also be beneficial to use the different parts of the Eightfold Path as an end-of-day reflection. Wise Understanding As people engaged in the world, rather than withdrawn from it, we can use wise understanding to live without clinging, attachment, or craving. By paying attention to our actions and the results of those actions, we can begin to change where our choices are leading. If we intend to act in ways that have positive results, and if we're aware of the true intention and the nature of our actions, then we'll see better results, better meaning, less suffering, and less harm. The word karma literally means action or doing. Any kind of intentional act, mental, verbal, or physical, is a kind of karma. Skillful or wise actions strengthen our sense of balance, kindness, compassion, loving, and equanimity. When we act unskillfully or unwisely, when we steal, lie, take advantage of somebody else, or cause intentional harm based on our own craving or delusions, it creates an immediate sense of imbalance. It fights with our intention to avoid harming others. Karma is determined by our intention and applies to any volitional, purposeful action. The result of our volitional actions may be an increase in our happiness or may lead to additional suffering. There is no actor apart from action, and there is no action without intention. Unskillful actions leave us less able to meet the next challenge or pain we are faced with. For example, when we steal, we have to immediately justify to ourselves why our greed was more important than the harm we caused by taking. We must create a cover story, hide our actions, and adjust to the fear of getting caught. Ultimately, if the theft gets discovered, we might have to deal with financial or legal consequences, or face a lack of trust from our community. Similarly, when we're dishonest, we immediately focus energy on maintaining the untruth. We must emotionally carry the potential pain that is caused to others, and ourselves, if the lie is revealed. This understanding of karma rests on the insight that we are responsible for our own happiness and misery, and that there is a cause to every experience of happiness or misery. From a Buddhist point of view, our choices, which are dependent on our present mental, moral, intellectual, and emotional conditions, decide the effects of our actions. If we act skillfully, with understanding and compassion, it's possible to cause positive, beneficial effects for ourselves and others. If we act with unskillful intention, we cause our own suffering. This doesn't mean that we always have control over our experiences. No matter how skillfully we act, the external world, people, places, and things, 
might not give us what we want. This does not mean we've had bad karma or that we failed. It just means that we're not in control of everything and everyone. The point is that regardless of what the outside world throws at us, we're responsible for how we respond to it and how we tend to our internal world. At the end of the day, we have the choice whether we go to bed as somebody who acted wisely and compassionately or as somebody who didn't. It's important to note that being responsible for our own happiness and suffering doesn't mean we're responsible for hurts or traumas that have been done to us by others or by circumstances out of our control. Many of us have very real experiences of victimization, oppression, and trauma through no fault of our own. The pain from these experiences should be met with compassion and care, not minimized or pushed away. In recovery, we learn that we don't have to add an extra layer of suffering to this pain. We can begin to heal rather than let these experiences control and limit us. Without discounting or ignoring the ongoing effects of trauma in our lives, we begin to understand that our reactions when that trauma comes up for us now can change our experience of suffering and happiness. The Buddhist perspective is that our present mental, moral, intellectual, and emotional circumstances are the direct result of our actions and habits, both past and present. How we choose to respond when confronted with pain or discomfort will change our ability to skillfully deal with suffering when it arises. We can also take solace in the fact that we're not alone, that every person has difficult and unpleasant experiences. It's how we respond to pain that determines our experience. Questions for inquiry of wise understanding. Think of a situation in your life that is causing confusion or unease. What is the truth of this situation? Are you seeing clearly? Or are you getting lost in judgment, taking things personally and stories you're telling yourself, or repeating past messages you've internalized? How? Is your vision clouded by greed, hatred, confusion, clinging, attachment, or craving? How? In what situations and parts of your life do you have the most difficulty separating desire from greed? Are there areas or relationships where the drive to get what you desire overshadows any other consideration? Has this changed as you began or continue in recovery? Are there parts of your life where you are driven to continue unpleasant experiences because you think you must or need to? How is karma, the law of cause and effect, showing up right now? Where in your life are you dealing with the effects or aftermath of action you took in the past, both positive and negative? Wise Intention Wise intention describes the attitude or approach we take toward ourselves and the world. We can choose non-harming by avoiding actions that have harmful results, detaching from the cravings that seem overwhelming in the moment, and developing a kind and compassionate stance toward both ourselves and the world. Wise intention leads us to stop doing things based on ill will, hatred, violence, and selfishness. It impacts all our relationships, with ourselves, 
other people, our community, and the world as a whole. Wise intention is deciding to act in ways that produce good karma and to avoid actions that produce bad karma. We start by looking at the kinds of thoughts that cause us to act in wholesome or unwholesome ways. If our thoughts are based on confusion, fear, and greed, then our actions will bring bad results. If our thoughts are based on generosity, compassion, and avoiding clinging, then our actions will bring good results. Thoughts that are based on loving-kindness and goodwill, that are free from the desire or intention to cause harm, lead us to act in a wholesome manner. There may be times when we don't necessarily want to act in a wholesome manner. We may know what's the right thing to do, but just don't want to do it. It's in these moments when we can focus on our intention. Maybe we aren't ready to do the difficult thing, to quit a certain behavior, to set a boundary, or forgive someone for whom we hold resentment. But we can set the intention to do so and investigate our willingness in meditation by repeating statements like, May I have the willingness to forgive? May I have the willingness to quit smoking? Or skip that piece of cake? Or stay off the internet tonight? Etc. May I have the willingness to make amends to my partner? The first choice we can make in wise intention is that of generosity. Generosity teaches us how to let go of our self-centeredness, to let go of clinging to ideas of mine and me. Selfishness or self-centeredness is one of the ways we justify and cling to our addictive behaviors. Generosity comes from the awareness that we're holding on too tightly to our selfishness in a given moment. The karmic result of looking at the world only through the lens of me and mine and what I want leads to loneliness, separation, and dissatisfaction. Letting go of this clinging can be the solution. Without generosity, the mind is confined to a small, tight space. Anything that's not about me and mine is off-limits. During times in our lives when we become dependent, our world becomes focused on satisfying our cravings, on holding on to what we want right now. We get sucked into the reactivity of survival mode, believing that we must have our addictive substance or behavior to survive. Our needs for relief or pleasure consume us, and we become blind to the needs of those around us. We may even begin to see them as threats. We can break out of this cycle by opening our hearts, by being present for and in service to other people. Generosity allows space to respond to those around us, to include their well-being in our choices. This can, of course, be a tricky concept for those of us who struggle with issues of codependency. Generosity does not mean giving of ourselves without boundaries until we are depleted. It does not mean using helping as a form of manipulation to get what we want. Again, what's important here is that we're honest about the intention behind our actions. We try not to confuse intention with impact. Our intention may be to not harm, but sometimes the impact is that we hurt someone. Many of us have experienced this in our addictions. Without intending to, and often without even being aware of it, we've created wreckage in other people's lives. The way we choose to practice compassion and recovery is by being accountable when our actions hurt someone, 
and by acknowledging this hurt, without blame or shame, defensiveness or justification. Generosity allows us to cultivate appreciative joy, which is one of the four heart practices of Buddhism, along with compassion, loving-kindness, and equanimity. Joyful appreciation is simply being happy when somebody else has good fortune, happiness, and peacefulness. Generosity lets us appreciate the happiness of others rather than having feelings of envy, jealousy, or wanting them to be just a bit less happy so we seem a little more happy by comparison. We want the other person's happiness to increase for them to become more at peace, and so we learn to appreciate those things in their lives. In the moment of giving, of generosity, we've let go of self-centered desire and grasping what is mine, what brings me pleasure. We're giving up any ill will or aversion we feel toward the person and toward the world. Instead of creating separation and withdrawal, we're actively fostering appreciation for the closeness and connectedness of the world. This is a joy that's not weighted down by selfish desires, envy, or resentment. It's the purity of happiness for someone else's good fortune. We can choose to cultivate this feeling of joy in the happiness and success of others without the need to compete or compare. It's actually a feeling that's natural to humans, but it's often neglected when our attention is focused on selfish craving. This is the true seat of generosity, delighting in the happiness of others without needing anything in return. The second heart practice is compassion, which is first of all a willingness to come close to pain, to recognize it, honor it, acknowledge it, and respond to it wisely. This isn't easy, because just as we want to run from or suppress our own pain, we also want to avoid being with the pain of others. Compassion means sitting with our own pain and that of others. It stops the cruelty of indifference. Compassion for ourselves is crucial. Self-compassion is the key to healing the shame and guilt that we often feel as we begin to recognize the harms we've caused through our addictions. Compassion is not just offering sympathy and a helping hand. It's also an intention to avoid causing harm to others and ourselves. This is where we can most easily see the difference between skillful and unskillful actions and between wholesome and unwholesome intentions. Cruelty, and all the harm it creates in the world, comes from a lack of compassion. Cruelty is a desire to cause pain. Compassion is caring about the welfare and happiness of others. Compassion rests on the renunciation of harming living beings and is not only the wish but also the intention to put an end to their suffering. We need to open our hearts, not just our minds, to all the suffering that is here, that is experienced in the world. Compassion is not only a feeling, it is an action. The third heart practice is loving-kindness, also known as metta. These are thoughts that are free from ill will, simply wishing that somebody else be happy, that they be well and free from suffering. It's the choice to include the well-being of everyone in how we act in the world. Metta isn't conditional. It isn't something we offer only to people we like. We can have concern and care even when we're feeling our own pain. We can bring metta to mind when we're faced with difficulty 
or torn by conflicting feelings about the conditions of life at the moment. Metta doesn't depend on people acting in a certain way, on our feeling a certain way in the moment, or on the result of our caring. It frees us from only caring about the well-being of others when we think it will lead to some outcome. With metta, we don't ask the question, will it do any good to care about this person's well-being? This means that how we think about another person isn't based on their behavior or even on the other person at all. How we think about a person is up to us, and if it's shaped by the practice of metta, then we can care about every person's well-being, even the most difficult and unpleasant people we know. We can honestly hope that everyone finds a way to be happy without causing harm. Wishing this goodwill towards others frees us from the reactivity and anger that can come when we focus on the person's behavior or what we think they ought to do. We can begin to see the suffering and pain that somebody experiences as a result of their actions and care about that pain even if it might also lead to pain for us or for others. Our wish is that all beings are free from pain and suffering, that they escape hatred and fear, that they are at ease, and that they find happiness. Generosity, compassion, and loving-kindness make forgiveness not only possible, but also essential for recovery. Forgiveness rests on understanding and caring about the pain and confusion that give rise to actions that we experience as harmful. We forgive when we focus on the person rather than the action, and we forgive only in the present when our hurt and anger make us aware that our resentment is blocking our own compassionate and generous responses. In this way, forgiveness is not so much something we are giving to the person who hurt us, but something we give to ourselves. It's centered more on our own conscious intention and how we choose to respond to them. Just as we sometimes act out of fear, greed, or confusion, we see that others do so too. Forgiveness doesn't mean we accept or tolerate harm. It comes from understanding and accepting that the person causing us harm is doing so from a place of pain and confusion. We extend compassion and goodwill to that person even as we actively try to end the harm. This may mean creating safe boundaries or removing ourselves from exposure to harm, but we do this from a place of compassion and understanding, not resentment. And it is essential that we extend the healing of forgiveness and compassion to ourselves. Forgiveness allows us to let go of the guilt and shame of our own harmful actions. We remember that compassion is an action, so when we forgive ourselves, we also set an intention not to recreate or continue the harm we have caused to others and to ourselves. Making amends is an important part of forgiveness. As we begin to gain clarity about the harm we caused in our addiction, we commit to making amends for that harmful behavior. We don't make amends for the sake of satisfying some external standard of morality to be forgiven or to get something in return. Instead, we use the process as a way to let go of our expectations and disappointments in others and ourselves. In other words, to let go of our attachment to a different past. One of the central principles of karma is that I alone am responsible for the way my past actions impact my current responses to the world. We change our habits by letting go of the past 
and restoring balance in our relationships. Things we did in the past create patterns of behavior that continue to shape our thoughts and intentions in the present. That process doesn't stop until we change our relationship with those patterns and toward the people we've harmed. Amends are about restoring the balance in our relationships, not about asking for forgiveness from others. In a sense, it is an action we take to forgive ourselves. When we have come to understand and face the reality of our impact on others, we begin to understand the purpose of making amends. Our compassion practice leads to a desire to relieve the suffering of people we've harmed and a commitment to not cause further suffering. Even if the person isn't a part of our lives any longer, it's possible to acknowledge their hurt and to offer them our goodwill and our remorse. Making amends means we do what we can to remedy the harm or wrong. If that is not possible, we resolve to do some good, not as compensation, but to develop our habits in a different direction. When we intentionally take responsibility for our actions, we let go of harmful avoidance and self-judgment and develop a sense of connectedness, peace, and ease. The starting place for amends is a willingness to forgive ourselves and take the path of reconciliation, not only with those we have harmed, but also with our own hearts and minds. Generosity, compassion, loving-kindness, and forgiveness allow us to experience equanimity as we face pain and discomfort, both in ourselves and others. Equanimity is the fourth of the heart practices. During our addictions, we often responded to situations that caused us anger, fear, or resentment with a craving that the situations be different. We gave up and surrendered to the negative experience of life. Equanimity does not mean giving up. It is more a quality of giving in. It is finding peace exactly where we are, regardless of external circumstances. Equanimity allows us to be right in the middle of things, to understand and accept things as they are without needing to escape. When we gave up, we said, I don't care what happens. Equanimity, on the other hand, is being able to say, I can be present for this. It's the acceptance that while there are some things we cannot change, we still have power over how we respond to them. While we don't always have control over our thoughts and feelings, we do have power over how we feed them. Questions for Inquiry of Wise Intention During your periods of addictive behavior, how did you act in ways that were clinging, uncaring, harsh, cruel, or unforgiving? Toward whom, including yourself, were these feelings directed? How might generosity, compassion, loving-kindness, and forgiveness have changed your behavior? What actions have you taken that have harmed others? Have you formed an intention to reconcile with both yourself and the person or people you've harmed to make amends? If so, have you found a wise friend or mentor you can go to for guidance and support in the amends process, which is summarized below? What support can this person provide as you begin the process of amends? Making amends. Have you done something intentionally that you now recognize caused harm to another? 
who has been harmed by your actions? Have you honestly formed the intention not to repeat harmful actions and to learn from the experience in future interactions? Have you begun the process of directly addressing the harmful actions of your past? Making amends depends on the circumstance, including your present relationship, to the person and the extent to which you can undo the harm caused through direct actions, like correcting a public dishonesty or compensating another for things you have taken that were not freely offered. Ask yourself, what can I do in the present? Can you address and reconcile with the harm you have caused without forming an attachment to being forgiven? Identify the motivation for making amends. What actions would restore balance in your own feelings and approach to whatever harm you have caused? Can these steps be taken without causing new harm to the person or relationship? If you're experiencing a difficult situation or choice in your life right now, investigate the intention you are bringing to this situation. Are you being selfish or self-seeking? How? Are you being driven by aversion, running away from an unpleasant experience, or craving, grasping for pleasure? How? How could you bring in a spirit of generosity, compassion, loving-kindness, appreciative joy, and forgiveness to this situation? How would the situation look different if you brought these factors to mind before reacting or responding? If you don't want to, can you at least have the intention and willingness to do so?